Hi there, my name is Lee Eric Fesco and I'm the Director of Discipleship at Christ Presbyterian Church and I'd like to welcome you to the Imitating Jesus study and I'm so glad you've decided to join us. If you don't mind, I'd like to set up the introduction to this study and set forth a few expectations for you. This is a study that will be primarily used by the men's and women's four group ministries as well as other small group uh, gatherings and, and we're trying to be really deliberate about this from a content standpoint. Rather than the men's ministry studying one thing and the women's ministry studying another and then all of us coming together on Sunday to study something else, we began to wonder if there was a way we could all move in the same direction, especially right now. You know, during a a pandemic, it's it's hard enough to feel completely unified from a, a physical and logistic standpoint. And if that's the case, how much harder is it for us to feel unified from a, a spiritual standpoint? It's much harder, isn't it? Well, so much as we can help it, we hope you'll use this study with that in mind. Let's see what happens when we all set our focus for a season on the same thing. So in this study, you'll hear from both men and women of Christ Presbyterian Church, all helping to frame our focus around this one central idea at a time I think we really need it most. So what's our focus? What's, what's our one central idea? Simply stated, it's Jesus. You might have noticed that we're going through a sermon series right now entitled Jesus. That sermon series is taking us through Mark's gospel And we're seeing the gospel writer open our eyes to who Jesus is. And you may have noticed a theme in this series. The the titles are all centered around who Jesus is. And if you haven't had a chance to check these sermons out, I'd encourage you to do that. You can find them right on our homepage at ChristPres.org. But all these sermons have titles like Jesus, our burden lifter, Jesus, our brother, or Jesus, our healer. So again, focusing on who Jesus is. And let me tell you something. That's really important. It's really important to understand who Jesus is. Do you know why? When you begin to understand who Jesus is, it changes who you are. When you begin to understand who Jesus is and you acknowledge your need for him, at this moment, something beyond profound happens. The Holy Spirit takes up residency within you and begins to change you, so much so that you actually start reflecting the character of Christ back to him. You start imitating Jesus. And once he begins that process, as the Apostle Paul reminds us in his letter to the Philippians, once he begins this work in you, he will complete it. He will bring it to a place of completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So so that means this is a lifelong process where more and more you walk in the footsteps of Christ, reflecting his character back to him. So that's what we're going to mine away at in this study, what it means, what it looks like to to start imitating Jesus and start reflecting his character character back to not just him, but to our neighbors, our brothers. Hey there, my name is Lee Eric Fesco, and I'm the Director of Discipleship at Christ Presbyterian Church, and I'd like to welcome you to the Imitating Jesus study, and I'm so glad you've decided to join us. If you don't mind, I'd like to set up the introduction to this study and set forth a few expectations for you. This is a study that will be primarily used by the men's and women's four group ministries, as well as other small group uh, gatherings. And, And we're trying to be really deliberate about this from a content standpoint. Rather than the men's ministry studying one thing and the women's ministry studying another, and then all of us coming together on Sunday to study something else, we began to wonder, if there was a way we could all move in the same direction, 
especially right now. You know, during a, a pandemic, it's, it's hard enough to feel completely unified from a, a physical and logistic standpoint. And if that's the case, how much harder is it for us to feel unified from a, a spiritual standpoint? It's much harder, isn't it? Well, so much as we can help it, we hope you'll use this study with that in mind. Let's see what happens when we all set our focus for a season on the same thing. So in this study, you'll hear from both men and women of Christ Presbyterian Church, all helping to frame our focus around this one central idea at a time I think we really need it most. So what's our focus? What's, what's our one central idea? Simply stated, it's Jesus. You might have noticed that we're going through a sermon series right now entitled Jesus. That sermon series is taking us through Mark's gospel And we're seeing the gospel writer open our eyes to who Jesus is. And you may have noticed a theme in this series. The the titles are all centered around who Jesus is. And if you haven't had a chance to check these sermons out, I'd encourage you to do that. You can find them right on our homepage at ChristPres.org. But all these sermons have titles like Jesus, our burden lifter, Jesus, our brother, or Jesus, our healer. So again, focusing on who Jesus is. And let me tell you something. That's really important. It's really important to understand who Jesus is. Do you know why? When you begin to understand who Jesus is, it changes who you are. When you begin to understand who Jesus is and you acknowledge your need for him, at this moment, something beyond profound happens. The Holy Spirit takes up residency within you and begins to change you, so much so that you actually start reflecting the character of Christ back to him. You start imitating Jesus. And once he begins that process, as the Apostle Paul reminds us in his letter to the Philippians, once he begins this work in you, he will complete it. He will bring it to a place of completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So so that means this is a lifelong process where more and more you walk in the footsteps of Christ, reflecting his character back to him. So that's what we're going to mine away at in this study, what it means, what it looks like to, to start imitating Jesus and start reflecting his character, character back to not just him, but to our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters, all around us. This, hear me out here, hear me out. This is what evangelism really looks like. I, I don't know what concept you formed in your mind as to what evangelism looks like, but believe it or not, It doesn't necessarily involve standing on a street corner, yelling out Bible verses and handing out pamphlets. Evangelism, real evangelism, looks like imitating Jesus, how he interacted with the people he encountered and and how he drew them into his community. It reminds me of the Madeline Lengel quote that Pastor Scott has shared with us a number of times. We draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. It's imitating Jesus. And to start us off into this deeper dive into the idea of imitating Jesus, it's my privilege to introduce to you Melanie Rayner, our Director of Women's Ministries and Director of Ministries at Cool Springs. Melanie, it's great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Please, won't you tell us a little bit more about this idea of imitating Jesus? Thank you so much, Lee Eric. It is a privilege to be here with you all this week for our first week of the Imitating Jesus study. 
Um, the conversation around Christ-likeness is one of my favorites, and I'm looking forward to spending the next two months together learning more about who Jesus is and how we can become more like him. I want to begin today by taking us on a little trip back to grammar school and talk a little bit about conditional sentences. Do you remember those? They are also called if-then statements. For example, you might use an if-then statement to explain a policy. If you do not do your homework, then you may not play at recess. They work for all kinds of scenarios. If you forget to add baking powder, then your biscuits won't rise. If you don't score a touchdown, then you cannot beat the other team. Life itself seems to be a series of if-thens. Some of them are conditional, some of them are aspirational. How many times a day do I tell myself, if I do this one thing, then everything will be better? If I have a system, if I get this new thing, if I take this new job, if I buy this new house, then everything will be okay. For the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the if-thens in Scripture, but they all have something to teach us about what it means to put on the character of Christ, to become more like him, to engage the world the way he did, to love people the way he did. Why? Because scripture commands us to be like Jesus. So if Jesus did those things, then we should as well. This week, we're going to look specifically at John chapter 17, which is part of Jesus's high priestly prayer. This is the prayer that he prayed the night before he died. This prayer is magnificent. It's tender and it's true. It's expansive and it's microscopic, deeply personal. And it gives us a beautiful picture of the heart of Jesus. And that's what I'm most excited about for this study, the opportunity to see the heart of Jesus, to be drawn closer to him and to naturally become more like him in our everyday words and actions. Okay, we'll start in John chapter 17, verses 14 through 23. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but for all those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world will believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Today, we're going to camp out specifically in verse 18, because it really sums up our whole study of imitating Jesus. Jesus prays, as you sent me into the world, So I have sent them into the world. There's a theological framework for studying scripture that you may or may not be familiar with called the indicative and imperative, in which you identify what a passage says about God and then how we are to act in response. Verse 18 is a pretty perfect example of this, of the indicative and the imperative. 
The indicative reveals something to us. It indicates. The imperative calls us to action. One way I often think about the indicative and imperative is by creating a fill in the blank. I use this with my kids all the time. If God is blank, then we should blank. If God is loving, then we should be loving. If God is kind, then we should be kind. This works really well with kids, especially when we are pointing out the attributes of God's character that we can emulate, his communicable attributes. As we endeavor to imitate Jesus together, I would encourage you to use this formula, the if-then, for each lesson. If Jesus did this, then we should. We say if because we stake our claim on these things being true. If Jesus is who he said he is, then it changes our whole lives. So back to verse 18. The indicative in that verse, the what if, God has sent Jesus into the world. And the imperative, what we are to do, is be sent into the world by Jesus. If God has sent Jesus into the world, then we are sent into the world by Jesus. Like Jesus, for Jesus, and with Jesus. We're going to unpack each of those ideas over the next few minutes because they will be a helpful foundation for the coming weeks and lessons. Ultimately, as we think about ways we are to be evangelists in the way of Jesus, this verse gives us critical insights into what that means. We'll start by dissecting verse 18, and then we'll close by looking at the four ways Jesus sends us into the world. By Jesus, like Jesus, for Jesus, and with Jesus. Okay. Let's start in verse 18. First, God has sent Jesus into the world. The book of John is full of this language, of God sending Jesus into the world. It's one of the the things that sets the gospel of John apart, is you see such a connection between God and Jesus, dwelling on the fully godness of, of the Savior. In John 3, 16 and 17, he tells us why God sent Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God sent Jesus to save the world. John 1.14 tells us how God sent Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God sent him as flesh, as fully man, to dwell with us. But he was also fully God, the only son from the Father. Now hold on to those ideas in your head while we take a look at the next part of the verse, the imperative. Jesus said, so I have sent them into the world. There are two things to note here. First, who is them? In the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays for his disciples who are with him, within earshot. They're hearing these words that Jesus is praying for them. The night before he died, before he was going to leave them, these are the words that he asked God. But the prayer that he prays is also universal for everyone who follows him. So if you follow Jesus, he prayed this for you. Second, what is the world? Jesus uses the word word world frequently throughout John, most often talking about people who hated him, usually referring to the Pharisees or the Sadducees. A few examples. John 7, 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. In John 15, 
If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. John 17, 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So we get the idea of who the them is, it's us, but it's also the original disciples. And the world seems like it might hate us just a little bit. It certainly hated Jesus at the time. So let's go back to verse 18, and we're just going to keep hanging out there because it's so key to understanding our whole mission to the entire world, the key, the entire call of evangelism. As God sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Let's try it in our if-then statement. If God sent Jesus into the world, then Jesus has sent us into the world. But what do we do in the world? That is what this whole study is going to be about. Today, we're going to look at four quick things that will be universally true throughout this study, and you can look for them each week as you're reading a different story about Jesus who interacts with people in his orbit, in his world. We are going to look at how we are sent by Jesus, for Jesus, like Jesus, and with Jesus. First, we are sent by Jesus. Let's take a quick look at Matthew 28, where Jesus commissions his disciples into the world. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So practically, we are being sent by Jesus to evangelize, which Lyric so wonderfully explained what that means, to be like Jesus to those around us, and to share the good news of Jesus with the whole world, even the world that hates him and us. Next, we are sent for Jesus. Jesus talks about this a few chapters earlier in John 15. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus chose us to go for him. We are ambassadors for him as he has returned to sit at the right hand of the father. You've probably heard the phrase, the hands and feet of Jesus. Well, that's what we are. We are ambassadors of Jesus into the world, bearing out his character and love to everyone we come in contact with. We bear his image, his likeness, his character. We were created to do this. We were chosen by Jesus to do this more than anything else. Like an ambassador comes bearing gifts from his home country, we bring the gifts of God's kingdom to our earthly home. We do this by being like Jesus. The name of this study is Imitating Jesus. We'll be learning together what it means to be more like Jesus by reading stories of how he interacted with people who did not know him, who did not love him, or who hated him. Each week, you'll read a story about Jesus and then ask the question, how can I be like him? 1 John 2.6 offers us this. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. There, in John's later book, we see the answer to the question that may be ruminating in the back of your mind, because I know it is in mine. 
How? How do I, a sinner, broken and tired, confused, who often does the very thing that I should not do, begin to imitate Jesus and for it to be real and deep and true, not painted on, not something that I do because I'm supposed to do it and I think about how I'm supposed to do it and that's why I'm doing it. Jesus doesn't tell us to be like him the way I tell my three-year-old to sit down in her chair for the duration of dinner time. It's not a command of performance or following the rules perfectly or to make himself feel better. The aroma of Christ himself is sweet enough to call the vilest sinner. The secret to becoming more Christ-like, to imitating Jesus, it isn't following all the rules or creating new rules for ourselves about how our behavior should be perfectly matched to Jesus. It's not wearing a what would Jesus do bracelet around our wrist, which I did as a kid, to remind us to do the right thing. We become more Christ-like by spending more time with Christ. The last way I'll talk today about how Jesus sends us into the world is with Jesus. Let all the pressure of the if-then statements fall off of you. It isn't up to you to be Jesus. It isn't up to you to love perfectly, always say the right thing, ask the right questions, and bring everyone you ever meet to a saving faith in Jesus. Jesus will always do that work alongside God the Father and the Holy Spirit. The last part of the Great Commission, the evangelistic command that Jesus gave his disciples, is this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The way we imitate Jesus is by knowing him better. The more time and energy we spend with him, the more we see the world the way he sees it. The natural extension of that is that we treat the world the way he treats it. Not because he tells us to, but because our heart is shaped more and more like his. Dallas Willard has a wonderful quotation in his book, The Celebration of Discipline. Let his words give you rest today as you ponder more what it means to be sent by Jesus because God loved us so much to send us Jesus. Willard writes, Jesus never expected us simply to turn the other cheek to go the second mile, to bless those who persecute us, to give unto them that ask, and so forth. These responses, generally and rightly understood to be characteristic of Christ-likeness, were put forth by him as illustrative as what, of what might be expected of a new kind of person. Instead, Jesus invites people to follow him into the sort of life from which behavior, such as loving one's enemies, will seem like the only sensible and happy thing to do. For a person living that life, the hard thing to do would be to hate the enemy, to turn the supplicant away, or to curse the cursor. True Christ-likeness, true companionship with Christ, comes at the point where it is hard not to respond as he would. Wouldn't that just be the loveliest way to live? where our first response, our answers, our actions would be like Christ without us even having to think about it. Willard connects the dots from companionship to Christ-likeness. So we dwell with Jesus. We love him. We spend time with him. We rejoice in how God sent him into the world. And we ask God to fill us with the same spirit as we go into the world. 
I'll close with Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Thank you.